0: it's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. Hello, it's me, Andrew Bird. Uh, This is... A funny tasting music. It's a podcast where I talk to comedians about music. And I know you don't want to hear it, but uh, I'm homeschooling a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm struggling mentally to be able to do this. If anything, this intro I could just I could just do a minute to myself, if you don't mind. If you can just talk amongst yourselves. Let me just have a bit of silence. Hang on. <sighs> Right, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. Here we go then. Right, this is going to be a good episode. Uh, this is Dave Fulton. He's an American, first American on. Um, I wanted to know, you know, about music growing up in America. We get a lot of it here, but what's it like when you're, when you're there? What sort of stuff are you listening to? So we're getting it from the ground, from ground zero here. Um, and is he, the Spotify playlist will go along with that. So it's going to be good. So here we go, some adverts, and then we're talking to American comedian. Could just call him comedian he's a person let's not define him by where he's from um although probably more happy to admit it now since recent elections so please welcome dave Fulton, a funny taste in music the interview next
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank all right well let's go i got i gotta go i gotta go busk by the uh, train station so uh i I play trombone so I, i may have to go uh start playing nobody knows the trouble i've seen
1: yeah very apt yeah um you'll be happy to know there's no intro on this podcast we'll just go straight in all right so here it is here it
0: comes this is andrew bird's podcast and it's about music music is the podcast welcome to the andrew bird show
1: yeah, you can't have a podcast about music and have a have a jingle of that quality. <laughs> <laughs> uh it is. It's about and you you'll be up here now. know, you're the first American on. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um and I had a look cuz you know, uh you might find it quite weird because you're you're American, but you've lived in London for how long now?
0: Now about 20 years.
1: 20 years. So, yeah you might find it weird the fascination that british people have with american with the american opinion of our music we kind of constantly need the approval of americans yeah for our own music because what, what i mean what was it like because you grew up in idaho is that where you grew up
0: yeah yeah idaho yeah north actually north idaho which is different from southern idaho If you know what to tell the truth how is it different Uh, it's an hour ahead. North Idaho is on Pacific time zone and Southern Southern Idaho is is on mountain time zone. Yeah. Fuck So America's big, isn't it? (laughs) Idaho, Idaho, um, North Idaho is uh, eight hours behind us time-wise and about 30 years behind us and everything else.
1: Uh, (laughs) So hang on, I'm going to sound really naive and thick here. Idaho is a state, so there's a time zone difference in a state.
0: Yeah, between right? north, yeah, between north and south, because what happens is the mountain time zones <coughs> is allocated. That the line runs down what they call the Continental Divide, which is yeah. essentially the highest point through the Rocky Mountains, which cuts through Montana, Idaho, um, down into uh, was it the Wyoming, Oregon, Utah, down all through that. So yeah,
1: wow. So that's mind that's mind blowing to the English we uh there's a time difference in a state that is you see that that i think when the english slag off the americans for having no um being bad at geography of the world i think it's a bit harsh because america's that big you've got enough to contend with over there really you've got time zone differences in one state you can't be worrying about where belgium is
0: well you know what's crazy is um America's get a lot of stick because they they don't have passports and like thirty percent or whatever you know own a passport. Oh well, look at you, you don't even have a passport. But it's so big. Be warm, we'll just drive south. If we want to be cold, we will drive north. Um, yeah. You know, the state of Mo- the state of Montana is the fourth largest state. The largest one is Alaska. It'll take you a little over twelve hours to drive just across one state.
1: Right. So um. So what was the. Uh because because when you think of america you think of the obvious of music you know you think nashville and all that what well, idaho was there a music scene of any sort growing up was there any like uh, you know, no i mean was there any live a, music venues you went to
0: oh yeah there was live music we had live music a lot of a lot of the bars in the area um where i grew up in because we were pretty close to eastern washington so we went over to spokane washington and sometimes we get out to montana um so yeah there's a lot of live music a lot of bars have played co- uh, bands played cover songs just you know what you hear on the radio or whatever uh so but yeah there's a lot of live music
1: brilliant so um you got so this sort of i find dave this is a general question that sort of places where you would be uh musically what music you might have grown up with what age uh, what year was it when you were 15 what sort of year was that you age 15 that's about your optimum getting into music kind of age
0: actually that's not fair because i got into music quite early um oh yeah i mean my um i was pretty aware of all that i started playing trombone when i was 10 years old and um so and that was in the 70s so um yeah and i was always kind of attracted to that you know anything that had a horn section so um yeah
1: you know, I don't mean any offense by this, but to look at you, I wouldn't think horn section.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know a lot of I mean people. No, no, no. A lot of people have these uh, preconceived notions of who I am and what I'm about and stuff. And then when they actually make the effort to try to get to know me a little bit, most of them are kind of what? Um, for years ago, having a meeting up with Robin Ince in Birmingham with Andre Vincent, and Rob and I were talking about modern art. And the influence of uh, Robert Rauschenberg and 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 James Rosenquist on American Pop Art, and, J- <laughs> and Vinny just goes, I can't believe I'm listening to Fulton talk about American Postmodern Art with with Robin Ince, and I'm like, well, you know. And the scary yeah. thing is, I you know I have a James Rosenquist original you know hanging in my house. I've got I've got a couple um, Salvador dollies and and a few other things. So,
1: fuck. Well, I don't think you have to worry about Universal Credit then, do you? Sell one of them.
0: I can't sell them, man. I'm a hoard. Can't sell them. Uh, Cause you're a what? Cause you're a hoarder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I
1: hoard newspaper cuttings and things like that. I how's hoard re- like how's, it, I, how's hoard, re- I hoard trophies from when I play football at the age of eight. Not fucking Salvador Dalis.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, how's the resale value on them trophies and clippings, huh? Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. good. Not
1: good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm very much reliant on universal credit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's fair, though. To be fair, you do a lot of stuff. You do, uh, whenever I talk to you, at some point, you will bring up something about repairing your own motorbike by hand and old motorbikes you've got back home. And, uh, what's the thing? Is it, uh, ice? Ice climbing. Yeah. Ice climbing. I can't think of anything worse than that. Cold and climbing.
0: it's It's the coolest thing ever. I miss it. I miss it so much. I miss it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh,
1: so there's a lot of stuff you do. So, yeah, this is you're right. It's, to be fair, that I wouldn't have had you down as trombone at the age of ten. But so, how come you were into music like that much at a young age? Was it a musical family? Did your parents play
0: music? Uh, my mom played piano. Uh, she could play by ear. She was she was pretty bright. She had multiple sclerosis, so as the years kind of rolled on, eventually she couldn't you know couldn't play anymore. But she had an appreciation of it. I mean, uh, when I was I think seven or eight, she dragged me off to the opera. Uh, my first opera I saw was Aida. And uh, the lead was uh, being sung by uh, Leontine Price, who is an amazing African-American singer. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so um, uh, no, it wasn't Aida. Sorry, it was Madame Butterfly. It was Madame Butterfly.
1: I wasn't, I wasn't going to <laughs> pick you up on it.
0: Yeah, no, it was Madame Butterfly. <laughs> and then uh, but I saw Aida, saw Magic Flute, um so yeah saw some great some great uh, opera and then got into um a little uh Korsakov. korsakoff got into um you know guys i got over got into some of the other russian artists uh my parents were into you know herb albert and the t1 of brass wow. and yeah and so that was fun and brubeck for some reason and um, so I got into Dave Ruprecht and, and I got a deep appreciation for their sax player, Paul Desmond. And then they, you know, <clears throat> they would go and to the country club or whatever where we were living at the time and go dance and listen to Glenn Miller tribute bands. So I, I grew up listening to Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey and um, Benny Goodman. And yeah, so that was the stuff I, I grew up listening to.
1: That is not your sort of standard... Music that much, you know. I'm going to say this. This is a. Uh, I did a podcast last week with Ivo Graham, and we talked at length about the Arctic monkeys. This is a change in tone, Dave. I'm going to say that. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> well, I Ivo, was so, a, a child. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, So wow. You. I mean, you said you went. What age did you say you saw your first opera? What was that? I think it was
0: like
1: seven. Right. I saw so my first yeah. opera at 40-something. What'd you
0: see?
1: I haven't seen it yet, 40-something. Somewhere in my oh. 40s, maybe.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, you haven't seen it yet, all right.
1: No, yeah. I've been on opera yet. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, that, I mean, that is pretty That is pretty sort of high-end music you are into immediately. So when did you get into your, like, you know, when did you get into your sort of ch- standard child pop music and or did you just skip that completely?
0: What well, well, my no my best friend at the time i was i was born in ohio and we lived there for 10 years and um my best friend at the time was a guy named Andy myers and he got me into simon and garfunkel oh yes i was
1: obsessed with them for ages that there's something about perfect harmonies that is just so addictive isn't it
0: oh i loved it i loved it old friends sat on the park bench like bookends the newspaper (laughs) flown through the grass sat on the high shoes yeah i loved it fucking yeah you know, so I'm <laughs> uh, sorry for singing there, but yeah, I had I, I bought all the Simon and Garfunkel albums, and um, yeah, I thought Paul Simon was amazing, and um, so, and it kind of went from there.
1: But again, that's the, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them sort of bubblegummy, sort of tacky pop either. No. No, they were. not oh. So it sounds like you have skipped all that and you just went into you know, proper good music. So what age was what sort of age was that where you start you were in Simon and Garfunkel. So like 13, 14 or something.
0: No, 8, 9.
1: <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel at 8 or 9. Yeah. Bridge over Troubled Water really spoke to you at the age of 9.
0: Hello darkness, my old friend, <laughs> yeah no, I was in all that man my sister you know everybody else was listening to Beatles and i I didn't get it I, you know, I was like, oh yeah whatever oh,
1: stop. that's a good that's a good statement for this podcast.
0: everyone's listening yeah. to
1: Beatles, and I didn't get it
0: i I mean i I wasn't into it, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, oh my
1: God, these guys are great, you yeah, know
0: yeah yeah, whatever. So
1: <laughs> like I, could, <coughs> I I could not disagree more with that, but I love it when people don't get the Beatles or don't like them. Yeah. I, absolutely, I don't know why I just love it, uh, it well, fascinates you know, b- me
0: Growing up you were, I them so Beatles, much <coughs> grown up you're either Beatles or stones and I I, I like the stones and then and then suddenly I heard Led Zeppelin and I'm like, fuck those guys oh, right, fair enough. Total Led Zeppelin man
1: oh, alright right so was that what did you have a gang of mates that you were all like led zeppelin or was that on your own
0: no that was um i got into led zeppelin probably early teens and um yeah and just flying around the two-lane roads of uh, idaho with my buddy sam rodell he's driving a green gold duster car and just cranking you know black dog and all that stuff so yeah that, great memories that
1: just sounded like uh all the lyrics of a song of a bruce springsteen hit What you yeah, just yeah. Hit in my head yeah. um right all right so you went that's wow simon garfunkel then you went into a bit bit of stones and a bit of led zeppelin
0: yeah
1: oh that's nice that's nice and then uh what i so what age um did you start doing stand-up what age was that was you quite young <clears throat>
0: um no no i'm not like the you know you gotta remember when I when I I started stand up in the '80s. I've been doing this 34 years or some shit like that. And when I started, you'd tell people I I've started to do stand up comedy, and and they would look at you with blank stares, like, well, "What yeah. is that?" And well, I go to comedy clubs and we make people laugh. Oh, you tell jokes? Well, kinda. Are there your jokes? Are you writing jokes? Are you just telling jokes on stage? And and what's really wild now is there is a whole generation of of comics who has never known the idea of stand-up comedy. They've never known, you know, a world without stand-up comedy. And I mean, yeah. if you told somebody who has been doing comedy 10 years, you know, when you started, did anybody go, what are, you, what are you doing? What is that about? Can you make money at it? I mean, and there was no, there was no TV shows. There was no panel uh, shows. There was nothing. All there was was David Letterman and tonight's show with Johnny Carson. That was it. And all we thought we could do, hey, man, wouldn't it be great if we just make a living at this? And so, yeah, we did. I was just talking to a friend of mine recently in San Francisco about this. And there's a period between about 85 and maybe, you know, 2000, 99, right around there. It's like a 15-year period, arguably, which was, we just determined that that was the golden age of stand-up comedy. It was. I mean, because we were all living like we were never going to die we got gigs all over the united states they would fly you in to, for open you know for emceeing spots and <clears throat> there was you know there was drugs there was women it was it's just amazing and then there was you know there was the uh uh A&E's evening at the improv and mtv's half hour comedy hour and that was kind of it there was no half hour special one hour showcase i mean that, you know so yeah, yeah we were just we were having the best time Man. and um and then I mean, suddenly every, everybody got corporate and you know demographics and you know ticking boxes and it eh, you know
1: I know you mean I'm a lot a lot later than you I started but I still remember when I started it was all there was was live at the comedy store and uh, live at jonglers on the telly and that was it so it was it wasn't as uh, drastic as yours but it was uh, you know you, if you said you did stand up that was quite weird and people like now if you say it someone will go yeah yeah my cousin's tried that it's like yeah, i mean yeah. tried
0: it it's not parachuting yeah, yeah but, my sister's um, been my sister's been doing that in between nursing school you know yeah oh, yeah yeah because yeah. Um, so, i was which thinking by, <clears throat> which which by the way you know live at the comedy store i did eight episodes of that and and you know what that means now nothing doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah you know
1: but that did mean, though, we were just doing stand up for the sake of doing stand up for the, the gig. That was it. That was all oh, the, great. it was the gig. It wasn't, uh, why haven't I got on this? Or why is it? There was none of that because no one was getting on anything. But other you than know, the, th- right at the top.
0: The thing about America, though, it, it's more of meritocracy, I think, initially, because you would start as an MC, just getting going. And then you would work your way up. If you got better, you were bumped to a middle slot. So you did 30 minutes instead of 15. And then if you got better and maybe one TV credit or even just better, you could start headlining, you know, and then you're closing the show, you're doing 45 minutes and, or more, and it's all on your shoulders. And so the person closing the show at was a person that worked their ass off to be there to try to be the funny, the funniest one on the bill, no matter what. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, and then the industry would start to notice that going, wow, you're headlining all the clubs in the United States. Well, let's get you on this show. Let's do this show. Yeah, we'll look at you for this. And, um, and it's still kind of the same that way in the States. It's, it's, it's not that way here at all. Not at all. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of times I've been closing shows and, you know, all the big name telly acts are on in the first or second is just, uh, you know, I could. It, it's a laundry list of all the people who, um, who don't close shows but they're on television constantly yeah and um <laughs> so yeah it's um and it's it, you can complain about it and get old uh, but hey man you know what i did a lot of telly between 1998 and 2008 and i was really really lucky and then they stopped having me on because i was too old
1: so you oh, so you started a bit later then so you because what i was getting at is what were you listening to you know as you were starting doing stand-up but bef- there's a big big gap before that wow. Of you were in uh, sort of yeah. Led Zeppelin what was your first gig you went to other than uh, the opera
0: <laughs> oh man my, my first my first band my first proper modern popular music uh gig I went to was the Doobie Brothers
1: <laughs> right I've heard of them I don't know anything about them
0: oh my god they were great you know I went there with a church group and uh you could smell marijuana everywhere it was hilarious <laughs> so uh I can't remember what happened. We, I don't know, had a bake sale and made the money. We, and the, and the youth group organizer said, we'll take you to a concert. And, you know, so, and it wasn't like we were all, you know, fanatic Christians and all that kind of Bible thumpers. It was just something to do. It was a way like to meet girls.
1: It's more like a youth club, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a way to meet girls. We had, we had them when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, so we went and saw the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, it was hilarious. And and Head East opened for them. you never heard of them. no. They were big. They were big head east. Yeah. Uh.
1: All right. Okay. So that was your first ever gig. Then did you start? Did that get you into going to gigs? Then did you start going to more gigs? Or
0: no? I mean, I think the next one I went to, I was in college. I went and saw Earth, Wind, and Fire, and um, they put on a show. Oh my god! You know that was early '80s, man. They put on a hell of a show. I was a music major. You know, I got a graduate degree in music composition. So we all. Um, <laughs> You're I, the first went,
1: person qualified on this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, went and saw uh, all of this. I was at University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho, and we all went out to Pullman, Washington, and watched Earth, Wind & Fire. and It was phenomenal, just an amazing stage show. So, And then after that, we snuck in and saw uh, Tower of Power uh, at a big bar up in, on State Line. and and um, just Like I said, anything with a horn section.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> it's good. I don't know any of these. This is brilliant um don't know any so wh- hang on so you did a uh what was your it was a degree did you yeah. say you did a degree in music composition
0: yeah that- write music yeah i've written a uh, um a bunch of uh, band pieces and solo pieces and and quartets instrumentals um you know a full wind ensemble piece uh tried to write a ballet yeah no opera though <laughs>
1: this is more i don't know about yet. so you uh, you've got from writing full Musical pieces to bits about Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, well, it's quite a leap, isn't it? I did my graduate work at Manhattan School School of Music in New York City, and um, and then it got. I went down and saw some amazing uh, uh, music in New York in the time. I mean, this is the '80s, so it was uh, I saw Clark Terry or his big band, and just some amazing stuff. So, how long did you live in New York? '83, uh, '84. So
1: right what 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 uh music venues that i might know of did you sort of go to
0: well there was a village vanguard uh the blue note but you've never known that but there was a cbgb's uh, yeah I've, I've heard it
1: yeah i've heard that cbgb's yeah i mean cbgb's I've was
0: it. yeah it was a big in the late 70s early 80s mainly you know talking heads uh, who well, i love talking heads man i think Talking heads is amazing and then um but you know the ramones you know i didn't see them live didn't see talking heads live um, you know, we tried to get into CBGBs. They wouldn't let us in. And, um, so yeah, we're down to Peppermint Lounge and watch people do slam poetry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was the first comedy roast. Yeah. Um, wow. That must've been going from, was that the first time you have been to New York from Idaho? Uh, like when you went to study there, was that, that must've been like quite um, a big, yeah.
0: I mean, I was there, I went there with my parents, um you know because we lived in ohio i went there when i was younger like you know like i said once again like nine years old or eight or something but um oh, were cultured
1: weren't you but so but move, no. moving from idaho to new york must have been quite a big thing and then seeing all, yeah it was being able I to was. go and see bands all the time
0: yeah and i lived at the uh i lived at the chelsea hotel on 23rd street and that's where um that's where sid vicious killed his girlfriend nancy <laughs>
1: oh know? all right Oh, yeah, good, Virg- good bit of musical history.
0: Yeah, Virgil Lovely. Thompson, Virgil Thompson uh lived there um uh who you know won the presidential medal of whatever for for his contribution contributions to music and yeah, the um yeah, the Chelsea was quite the place. So So
1: how do you th- do you think this is quite a a weird one uh, it might be a crossover of music and comedy, which this podcast is supposed to bloody be uh, the right, right in uh, a degree in musical composition. Do you think in some way that has helped with your stand-up? Can you feel how that, because I sometimes when people talk about writing songs, you know, when you watch documentaries about musicians, they go, Oh, this idea just came from nowhere. Like, um, um, uh, hang on. Keith Richards describes writing, as going fishing you just sort of you f- you know sometimes you get something sometimes you get nothing all day but you've got a you've got to be in there you got to try
0: and sometimes you wake up with a needle stuck in your arm <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I yeah i guess i mean you know so i um on the writing i've done music wise you have to especially when you're doing working with more than one instrument you have to kind of layer it and make it work when you start breaking down some of the bigs the greats like you know stravinsky when you when you look at a Stravinsky composition and you look at every line that he writes for all the in- instruments, the the string section and and, um, and the and the and the woodwind section and stuff, and you and you realize that all that works on its own, and he was able to layer it on top of each other again and again and again, and you think anybody else, it would have just sound like somebody banging their fists on a piano, but he's able to bring it all together, and um, and there's you know you bring it back to you know, like he's like a, like a callback, you know? Yeah. There's passages that will remind you where you're at. There's one of my favorite pieces is Rite of Spring. And, you know, the opening salvo is and that carries through the whole piece. So you hear that almost at the very end to remind you that this is still, you know, one piece about one subject matter. And the Rite of Spring was actually a piece uh, it was a ballet, and the premise being, there is a, um, a a group of people that are pagans, and they believe that in order for the spring to come back, they pick a virgin in their tribe, and then that virgin girl has to dance herself to the into such a frenzy that it kills her, and that's the only thing that will bring spring about. Why? <laughs> right. Yeah, and that and that came out. I uh, my brain is frazzled, but that I first think a nightclub like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that first premiered in the twenties, and and the guy who choreographed it was a mad Russian choreographer named I can't pronounce Russian stuff it's like Dotskieski or some. No, you know, you know Doyoshko yeah, yeah. or some shit. And and people were so so offended that they were you know booing and throwing you know, vegetables and stuff at this ballet you know in the twenties. So, um, but you know it stood the test of time. It's brilliant. Now getting back to comedy i kind of like to you know i always think that everybody's looking for one way to segue to the next i always figure the fact that i'm the only one on stage has got to be the best segue ever and if i can somehow bring it tell a story and have an arc through the whole thing then it makes me feel better and i think it flows better unfortunately most people don't get it paul Senna, god bless his his shaky little hand um i love i love paul man yeah <laughs> he, uh, he came to me we were working in sheffield and he walks out to me and he was closing the show and he walks up to me and he's like, that that thing just worked. It was a big arc. That thing, your entire 30 minutes worked from top to bottom. It all, everything was intertwined. I went, oh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for that. And he goes, these fucks will never see that. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know? <laughs> these fucks. So, and then he got on stage and he's like, hey, it's a guy from The Chase. You know, so
1: yeah but he could well he would see that though wouldn't he because he's his edinburgh shows have always been like that there's always he's very good at that right he's
0: a fucking doctor he's smart as hell yeah good point
1: know? good point i hate yeah. these intelligent fuckers that do stand up
0: right like, yeah if you were no
1: it's, it's, this is like the amount of essays you wrote at university stand up for you is just writing an essay it's a piece of piss some of us are thick as fuck and can't do it <laughs>
0: no so i just mean cobble for, it together i, like, I, like I don't mean you there so. i mean me no, no, I like the story stuff, and I like, you know, it's all based on stuff that I've gone through and personal opinions and, you know, social disbelief and things like that. I mean, I'm not a fanatic. I uh, I, uh, I envy really good joke writers, and people could come up with, um, you know, uh, an amazing take on a topical, uh, a topical event, you know, and... Yeah. Um, modern event there's a guy named Matt Oswald it was Pat Oswald's brother and I follow him on Twitter and, and he'll come up with stuff you know about everything that's been happening in the last whatever four years and uh, like the next day and you read it and you go god damn it <laughs> you yeah. know but um with that being said I um yeah I definitely look at things a little bit different than other people always have my entire life and um and unfortunately it kind of translated in stand up comedy people ask me all the time as an american because I started America, they asked me, what are you changing in Iraq and make it work in the UK? And I always honestly tell them hand on heart, I have no idea. No. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Well, cause well, English people, well, I was going to say that about music. I don't know, There's a British English, you probably noticed fascination with America. Yeah. That we always kind of need their approval or want their opinion on stuff. So to hear your opinion on what's happening in America, British people like that. And it's the same with music. I don't, Now, I don't mean this in a bad way. I've never understood the the English-British obsession with breaking America with a band. It's like, why why can't we just like it? Why can't we just think it's brilliant? Why do you have to go to America and get their approval? It's like people in America, if there's a brilliant band, they don't give a fuck what someone in Cheltenham thinks about it,
0: do they? No, but, you know, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I think that's a bit antiquated. I think it's a bigger country, there's more money to be made, there's, you know, you're gonna get bigger audiences, you know, it's not like, you know, you, you do the whole UK tour, and you swing back around again, and you're like, oh, the, were we were here nine months ago? No, six. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I there yeah, is yeah. That, yeah. You know, so, but I, I think w- with the, uh, the dawn of the internet and, um, and television and cable is it's, everybody sees everything at once kind of thing. So you get, it's not as important as it used to be. And, I mean, yeah. there's always, there's still that idea, like, I got to break America. And there's comics here that want to break America and the fact that I came over here, it's almost like I'm the Irish guy that came back to Ireland during the potato famine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, how things in America? Great, tons of work. What are you doing? Going to going to UK. Yeah, I'm going to the UK. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there is that. Um, it's, I mean, I, I've had people, you know, big studio people, whatever, see me over here and give me nice compliments and stuff. And I always tease them going, why would you come to the UK to pick an American for your project? And, uh, and they'd kind of shrug and go, yeah, yeah, you know. So, But I also believe that whole Metallica thing. Metallica's, Metallica's attitude was like, look, we're just going to do what we're going to do, and we're going to turn the shit out of the world, and, <laughs> and you got to come to our fire. It, their attitude was like, if you build a fire big enough in the woods, eventually people will come to check it out. And it worked yeah. for them. You know, it worked yeah. for them. And other people, other musicians are kind of taking that approach as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> and you wonder where it, 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 some of these, you know, whether it'll, like, D.C., what is it, the, um, what's that Irish band? The D.C. Fontaines, um, oh, yeah. who I think are, I think are great. But, um, and you wonder if that, if that Irish sensibility on, on music will translate all the way out to the West Coast but uh but with the internet and itunes and all the other kind of stuff uh, who knows you know i mean you hear about all the time somebody there's a there's a uh, an app called garage band i mean you can pretty much produce your own album and release it on your own you don't need to have an arr guy and guys come to your gig and sit in the back and go oh maybe i don't know lose the singer you know whatever so they just sit at home they're just you know it's lazy they figured oh you got to do all the work which is the same thing in comedy by the way when i first came here you know, people from the BBC, Channel Four, all that, they would all they would come to the comedy store to check you out. Yeah. You know, but they don't heard that. Yeah, yeah, they they'll barely come to Edinburgh. So you think, well what do you gotta do? Well let's get a podcast. Really? Yeah. I was in podcasts. Well, how do we get my podcast popular? Are you famous? No, you're fucked. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so and, oh, i'm just saying now well i'm just saying you know you, if you just keep at it i mean
1: oh you were talking generally i thought it was directed purely at me then
0: no 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 <laughs> no generally you know i mean this is a really great premises yeah. you know and 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 you got you know people who do have successful podcasts I, I no names mentioned but i've had projects come up with my short films and um you know had a, a cd release and i get a hold of the people that you and i both know that have very very successful podcasts and you say hey man i'm trying to push this can you give me a hand here Oh, yeah, you bet. Yeah, no, they never, they don't. They just don't, you know? So, um, so you just kind of have to strike out on your own. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's a curse. Maybe that's a blessing. I don't know.
1: So, when you when know. you came to, um, what year did you move to England again? Sorry, I think you said it. What year was I, it? I moved,
0: moved in. I, I moved in with my wife and uh, my wife to be in, um, in 2000.
1: Right. Is that why you moved to England? Because you're.
0: Yeah, you're wife. it was, it was love. It had nothing to do with career. I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh,
1: so what did you think when you moved? Uh, was it around Kingston you first moved, London? Yeah, still here, yeah. 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 And um, and what did you think when you moved to London? What did you think of, uh, what music did you notice when you first moved here? And what was it, what were the
0: big bands at the time? And did you go and see anyone? Wow, in 2000, I didn't really, i trying to think did i see anybody in 2000 Try to think who was who was big no i mean i I did i did some shows and i got to meet the guys from um uh uh, asian dub um yeah yeah, really nice bunch of guys and then um there was some other band that was a bunch of white guys Uh, I, i can't remember i mean they were just forgettable um I did the show with Jimmy Carr. Jimmy really liked him. I didn't at all, but maybe they went to the same school. So, you know, what do I know? But,
1: <laughs> That's all you remember. Yeah. I mean, like a bunch of white guys. You've just summed up Brit pop.
0: They were, yeah, they were just so forgettable. Um, I always thought the spike, uh, spice Girls were shit. Was never into any of that pop stuff. Anything that Simon Cow touched, I just thought was going to be poison. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wasn't into any of that. I mean, I was, re- I was in a punk, man. I mean, I like the sex pistols. I like clash um i I think that that stuff is is timeless and um so so when you came
1: to london was you did you do that thing like when i go to places uh like manchester i like to see you know where the hacienda is and where stuff is that you've heard of so when you come to london was you like oh i've heard this mentioned by you know where the sex pistols played and stuff like that did you do all that
0: (laughs) no i mean you know we were i was aware a bit of that i mean um uh I've always been a big Hendrix fan, and uh, I was aware that supposedly his first gig was uh, in the basement of a, a pub off of Soho. Called the Toucan. No, it's called the Toucan. It's supposedly the first time he got on stage with the Toucan and then he got on stage with and, uh, at the Hundred Club, I think it was. Club, but, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, it was um, no, I didn't really do a musical tour of there, but I just kind of fell into a bit of it. I, I um, by drinking in the Toucan, I got to know S- Suggs. From, from madness, from, yeah, and then from him, I got to know Cahill, Cahill Smith, uh, right. and he and I, he and I are still friends. Um, I mean, last time I saw Suggs, he went, "Hey, how you doing, Dave?" You know that kind of stuff. And and from doing, because you know, I did Nevermind the Buzzcocks three times, and one yeah. of the times I met Terry Hall, um, who was really nervous. He was kind of, you know, didn't want to be there, didn't do that, and um, but really. I don't know we kind of took to each other and and i told him i said look if you get to the point where you don't want to answer whatever while we're at, on the board there with uh lamar just shouting just look at me you know hold, hold my gaze and i'll just i'll throw myself under the bus so i did a bit of that and we, it was a good laugh i was on with phil jupiter's team and at the end of it you know he goes uh hey man thanks for that i'm like yeah you know introduce him to joe norris and george was like oh my god this guy was such an influence on my life and and uh, so Terry and I got to talk. We exchanged phone numbers. And um, he says, What are you doing next? I go, oh, I got to get to the comedy store. So uh, he goes, Oh, I said, Do you want to come? He's like, Yeah. So he came and saw me at the comedy store with a friend, uh, which was fun. Nuts is cooler than calling the comedy store up and going, Hey, can I get two tickets for, uh, for a Saturday night show? They're like, Yeah, yeah, what's the name? Terry Hall. Oh, yeah, I like the specials. Yeah, it's Terry Hall from the specials. And then there was like a pause, and you're like, Really? Yeah. Okay. So I think Big Mark had to watch him all night, make sure nobody bothered him. And at the end of the gig, he was like, "Oh, that was amazing, Dave! I could have never done that." I'm like, "Ah, it it was what it was." And he goes, "What are you doing next?" And this is in 2004. Yeah. And I go, "I go, uh, well, I'm getting married." He goes, "Oh, congratulations!" I go, "Yeah, thanks a lot." He goes, "You got a wedding singer?" And I thought he was taking a piss, and I went, "No." He goes, "Can I do it?" So, really? Long long story short, Terry Hall sang at my wedding reception.
1: Wow! I had uh a. the the music on this podcast at the start is uh, John Allen, brilliant musician. He did the same with me, a musician I knew, and he and they. It was pretty much the same thing. Like, uh, oh, I'd love to play at your wedding. I was like, what? Really? Yeah. We were going to ask you, but we didn't want to because it'd be, you know, we thought it'd be awkward. You'd feel
0: like you'd have to, but he offered. How nice is that? Well, it was crazy. It was our, we got married on the twenty second of May, which is the same day as the FA Cup final with Millwall against Man U.
1: Yeah. You're American. You weren't to know that, were you?
0: Well, I knew it because the guy, uh, the, the, uh, the priest doing the ceremony, he got up, uh, during our ceremony, there's about 85 people in the church in Notting Hill. And he says, there's one question on everybody's mind today. As we start the ceremony, can Millwall you do it?
1: And, uh, <laughs> Good priest.
0: Yeah. yeah Good so priest. Um, Good opening line. Yeah. Father Sean, he was great. So we, um, uh so the thing with terry was he there was a guy who was i don't know i think he owned crystal palace and he had a skybox in cardiff to watch the final and he was trying to get the specials back together again this is 204 right and um so terry's you know he's like i'm really not into it and um you know i told him i got to sing at this wedding in london so i can't do it so he said oh no problem the match will be done at five i'll have a car take you to the heliport and fly you to battersea heliport so you can still make the wedding reception and so that's what happened so terry watched the FA cup final with because uh, terry's a man u fan um uh even though he's from coventry and then he um yeah they flew him and his wife who is a love, lovely lady and they 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 flew him to battersea heliport or the uh, heliport and there was a car waiting and they brought him to our um <clears throat> um our wedding reception um yeah and then Shit. he was there he was shaking he's like i hate helicopters i hate helicopters <laughs> and i said we we'll just call it. i said look terry you don't have to sing man don't worry about it He's like no no i promise this i promise fuck
1: it does it just be chopped in <laughs> yeah
0: and so he goes i said look you know why don't you sing the last long last song of the night he went okay so um yeah so he sang he brought his own little CD with background music and he sang Burke Bacharach's uh, This Guy's in Love. And that was the last song of the night my wife and I danced to. And it was great because afterwards we walked up to him, like, hey, Terry, thanks a lot. That was great. He goes, oh, yeah, no problem. And you look at my wife and he goes, oh, you look really lovely. Congratulations. She goes, oh, thanks a lot. And thanks again for doing this. He goes, yeah, no problem. Then she paused and she went, I had your picture on my wall when I was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, okay, honey, we're out of here. We're done here. We're done here. All right, we're done. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's for her,
1: though. That's amazing. She had this picture on a wall when she was younger and he sang at her wedding. That's pretty
0: cool. Well, it was crazy. I mean, the wedding was on, I don't know, Saturday or Sunday, or you know, I think it, whenever it was, and and three days earlier, it was Thursday, we were up at Dublin Castle, and we saw um, madness, because they had these invite-only, they had five nights invite-only at the Dublin Castle in it, and the, and the room in the back, um, the function room only holds 175, so we got VIP and and so we got to see madness in a bar that holds 175 people and oh, um, so we were great. dancing dancing like maniacs and you know who was there that was like dancing crazy um, was Smiley Michael Smiley and did you know he was going to be there No I was like Smiley and he's like Ma so and he and I are like brilliant comedian Brody. Michael Smiley for those who don't know
1: now yeah actor.
0: now actor um, yeah. You just bumped into him there. Just bumped oh, into him God. there, and then uh, Sean Hughes was there too. And but Sean was like really scared of Michael, and and he knew me. He's like, "Hey, Dave," and he just kind of stayed up against the wall. He didn't want to come near us because we were we were throwing ourselves around the room, you know. Because it's madness. You got to dance like you're out of your mind, you know. So
1: I imagine in a in a in a room of like a hundred and seventy odd people as well. That music would be sometimes you know sometimes music sounds. Even better in a smaller oh, room oh. like that. Madness would be
0: fucking... Yeah. It was bouncing, wasn't it? It was insane. It was insane. It was so much fun. We had so much fun.
1: Wow, that, that I still can't quite get over that. He was choppered from Cardiff to London to sing it. And he sang one song as well. Yeah, the bloke, yeah. who pay, bloke who paid for that chopper, for him to sing one song for free.
0: Well, you know what's great is when, uh, when the specials came back they did you know some shows around you know the uk when they first came back i can't remember when it was two years after that and they were down at uh, brixton academy so i got a hold of terry and said hey you know we're we're trying to get tickets so hopefully maybe we'll see you there and then he just emailed me back and went or texted me back and goes hey two tickets to the door of vip so nice. so we went and saw them saw specials and then um we were up in the VIP room, and Terry's wife came and saw us and talked to us for a bit, and said, "Yeah, Terry's in the—he's decompressing. I oh, don't worry about it." And they're like, "Oh, we have to get together sometime, and and stuff." So, but the tour is so so successful that they immediately planned another one, and we've just kind of lost touch. So,
1: yeah, yeah, well, I like that though. Yes, yeah, you had to get your tickets for the gig. I mean, you invited him to your wedding; he owed you. Well,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still love that. That she had a. F- poster of him on a wall and she, he played i mean i had a poster of gary lineker on my wall he never sat at my <laughs> wedding it's a very different <clears throat> wedding but
0: um I, I had red hot chili peppers i was in a red hot chili peppers when they first came out so well
1: yeah now that that's what i now i can imagine you being into them rather than you know brass section or going to the opera
0: i made that big jump red hot chili peppers you know obviously talking Heads, things like that then i got into um well i was in college and into like uh black flag gun club um, <laughs>
1: opera to black flag <laughs> jesus christ
0: yeah i mean well that's the problem i mean i had one of the one of the music one of my uh, composition music instructors a guy named dan buckfish just said you have to listen to everything and then you have uh, to yeah. then you have to forget it so it doesn't influence what you write
1: oh that'd be good study music composition though you know just got your headphones on listening to a bit of simon and garfunkel what are you doing homework mate homework yeah that would be great so you moved to London and you um and yeah I mean wh- when I said the music in London I kind of meant uh what gigs did you go to or you know did you go and go oh that pub that's where Jimi Hendrix played fair enough not fucking yeah started drinking with Suggs and uh yeah. <laughs> from the specials play by wedding that's not where I saw that going yeah. but, um uh yeah and then so in because you don't da- you share car journeys a bit for gigs. Uh, I was talking last week with Jen Brister about, um, or, the, uh, about sharing car journeys and you've got a motorbike. So you pretty often go on your own, but you have shared car. The first time I met you was, I remembered it, it was Kings Lynn, that wow. gig in Kings Lynn. That's hours. And we're in that car journey. um, so you've had some bad car journeys for gigs. For those who don't know, comedians, we often have to share. We all share a car and go to a gig. You often don't know each other, don't know a lot about each other. Sometimes it's
0: good. Those journeys are nothing. I mean, in America, for me to drive from my hometown in North Idaho to L.A. is 18 and a half hours.
1: It's funny when you have a car journey doing gigs and there's a Canadian or American or an Australian and the English is going, oh, fucking three hours to Plymouth. Yeah, and you—you'll be like that. It's fucking f- three hours to my nearest shop. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That is, some, but in Canada, the you know, I mean, I was talking to someone about driving twelve hours to do a gig. Oh yeah, like eight people dying on your ass, getting threatened with death, and then driving home again.
0: I remember doing a gig up in Fort St John, which was a. Where's that? It's an eleven-hour drive north of Edmonton, Alberta.
1: Oof, it's
0: it's on the Alaskan Canadian highway, and um, we uh, this guy uh, what was his name something Kelly. We did this gig, and it was just literally a bar in the middle of a, this dirt, you know. And the hotel was across the 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 parking lot. It was it was so shit. We were just it was hilarious. But Alaska yeah, I mean, so yeah, you, do. you do you listen to? We didn't have podcasts back then. We had books no, how many t- hours
1: was that? How many <clears> hours did that take you to drive?
0: man it was you know I think nine hours up nine hours back just for one night not oh,
1: doing that's like doing a gig from here to like Aberdeen or something and back
0: well I do um, know from, from here to um, Fort St. John up in Scotland is nine hours because I go up there to go ice climbs and it took us nine hours to drive up there but um, <coughs> but you know when you drive you know we would drive um, man you know all the driving back and forth between you know my hometown and Seattle that's four hours did that Constantly would um so there know, a lot of gigs when we in Seattle,
1: <laughs> when you were doing stand up. Oh
0: there man, there's five stand-up. five clubs in Seattle. It was fantastic. It was...
1: So that was sorry. What was that? Four hours or something to Seattle? Yeah, four hour
0: drive. So oh, that's um, not bad. Yeah, I mean, and then when we went on the road, though, I mean, I would longest I not slept on my own own bed, I think it was nine weeks, and <laughs> I mean, I drove from my hometown across Montana into the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, then drove up into Canada to winnipeg and drove across canada all the way to vancouver island and then to seattle and then all the way down to la and then la back home again and doing gigs like almost every every week and um so yeah it took me nine hours or nine nine weeks nine weeks so
1: (laughs) i mean I've, i've done a wednesday to sunday at the manchester comedy store but i've done that um yeah if you must have an out al- you must have a few then but you must have is there an album that sticks out in your head on some of them long journeys that you just played to death you know those albums where it gets to the point where you start thinking to yourself right i have i don't want to put something else on i want to listen to this again but i'm going to ruin it for myself if i carry on like this on we know, long we didn't, journeys
0: i'm sold we didn't have cd players back then we had tape and um like i tapes yeah and um i had a. I had a, I, yeah, I invested in that. I had a really nice Nakamichi auto reverse cassette player, and auto um,
1: reverse, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, man. These kids. So the, uh, well, when I went to high school, we had eight track. So you'd be listening to Aerosmith, and click, click, and you know, they'd go to the next track. But the, um,
1: I've got to explain quickly to younger people that I had an auto reverse uh, tape walkman that blew my mind. Ooh. For those, for those wow. who don't know what auto reverse is. It, so you basically have to take the tape out and turn it over, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. But at the time it was like, fuck, yeah, don't have to turn it over. It's just turned over on its own. It's going the other way now. Yeah. So you had that in the car. That was yeah, the
0: dream. In the car. We drove. And uh, I'll never forget one of the things I did is I had, I had a 45, still have it, um, 45 vinyl, you know, <laughs> of Sam Sham and the Pharaohs doing Wooly Bully. Oh, and it is, oh, you know, like, talking about um, uh, it was on Animal House, Alec oh, uh, yeah. about the things she saw. So, we had I had Willy Bully on a 45 and I recorded it on a 30 minute CD. And um, so whenever I pick comics up for the gigs, I'd be down in San Francisco and they go, Oh, we got to drive out to Walnut Creek or something. Oh, okay, I'll pick you up. Okay, great. I'd pick him up, I'd put that thing in, and we you know, of course, comics you're just talking about yourself and other comics you don't like and whatever. Yeah. And uh and it was always great to see how long it took them. And they go, Did did we just hear this? You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I had another friend of mine, he had uh, I can't remember what the album was, a guy named Jeb Fake who got me into stand up comedy. He had one tape and it was a song on it. He had an album recorded on it. Mm. And he um while he's recording it, The album had a scratch so it jumped a bit so he went over and bumped you know the needle so it went over to the next one yeah so but he didn't bother re-recording he forgot about it or he's high or (laughs) something so he put it in his car and he'd hear it and be like so we'll go back 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 and and so he he would go oh yeah so if there's somebody new in the car it would skip and he'd like bang the dash and it would bump over and they'd look at him and go what the fuck was that man you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So we do tricks like that all the time.
1: I didn't even consider that. That's, that's a whole, whole lot of car journey humor. I've never even thought of. I like that one. See how long you can drive people insane with the same song until they notice. That's, that's a good one.
0: What's really fun is you have a guy who's sleeping in the passenger seat and you pull into a rest stop. And if he doesn't wake up when you go take a piss, you know, you have the comic in the back very quietly climb up on the hood of the car you know right onto the windscreen and then the driver of the car would get in his side and then he'd go ah and they'd wake up and see somebody like smashed on the windscreen and they're like ah
1: (laughs) wow never done that on the way to Plymouth
0: we used to do a ton of that kind of stuff oh that's Uh, good I did hear listen to a lot of music i mean a lot of music i mean there was always the floor of the car just littered with cassette tapes and later cds that were never never found their case again you know
1: yeah yeah it drives me insane that i'm quite careful for that i'm pretty uh my Protecting wife investment. yeah my wife drives me fucking mad she'll take a cd out and just put it in the cd case of the one she's putting in so i'm opening arctic monkeys and then there's a Beatles cd i'm like come on come on show some respect so it's, like it's her version of shuffle. Um,
0: I, I imagine in in in, a, in another time or day or you would, you know, year you would bury her in the garden for that. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, so you uh, sh- so you listen to a shitload of because yeah, that's the thing now. There's not as much. It's not as valued as much a good album now because of the obvious Spotify, all that uh, streaming and that and. Like you just said, I didn't think of that as well. The amount of podcasts now—you now you choose: shall I listen to a podcast or a, an album? Whereas before, it was just an album. That was it. That was all. You the what choice. else has
0: died? The other two other things has died off as well, and is album art and yeah. liner and liner notes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like you all know. that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so
1: I love a good album cover. Some of yeah. them, well, some of them, when you look at them, you you think. Like at the time, that would have been like you—you you would have looked at that and gone, "Oh, that's pretty shit." That album cover, but they've—they've they've become iconic.
0: Yeah, some of them. Where was that Beatles album? It's—it's it's incredibly collectible now. So which Beatles album? They were all holding like you know dead babies or you know dead baby dolls and stuff. And oh kept... yeah,
1: oh yeah, I remember that, that? one. Was that the White Album or the? No, I think that was Help or something like that. Uh, I don't.
0: I don't, know. I don't care.
1: It's gonna be. <laughs> I know you don't. Know. But care. yeah, the foot of that they had uh, yeah dead baby dolls, not actual dead babies. They right, had like right, right, right. baby doll parts, and they're all dressed in white coats and stuff. Fucking yeah. mental album cover, yeah, for the for the you know you know the palatable mop tops that they were at the time. But um, yeah, so yeah, so you um, what what is uh what is an album that <laughs> or a band that you were driving if someone put them on. You'd be like, no, 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 yeah, that's going to have to go off or you're going to have to get oh. out of the car. Do you remember having <clears throat> any arguments with anyone?
0: Yeah, there was a guy named Tim Door, and we were driving from Coraline, Idaho, to Moscow, Idaho. Uh, it's 84 miles, because I went to school in Moscow. That's why I know the exact mileage. And he uh-huh. he handed me this 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 tape, and... um. I was driving one of my Cadillacs. I've had six Cadillacs. And I was driving a Cadillac and um, old one, you know, like you know, from the 70s and 80s. <clears throat> and he was here, put this in. I went, all right. So I put it in. And it was, I can't remember what it was, but it was, you because know, I was listening to some other stuff. And he's like, oh, you may like this. And, um, and it was so shit. I popped it out and threw it out the window.
1: <sighs> Fucking <yeah. laughs>
0: hell. And I can't remember who it was, but I just went, no. I just popped it, chucked it. (laughs) And he went, did you just throw my tape out the window? Yeah. I'll buy you another one. I don't want it in the car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that seems fair. I like that. For a minute there, I was on his side like, oh, you didn't have to throw it. But the thought that you couldn't even have it in the car at at the thought of it going back on again. It had to be out the car just to be safe, like throwing away a dangerous weapon. But yeah. you uh but you were, you're willing to buy him another one. I never did. I never <laughs> oh, did. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. It's funny because about, about, wow, 20 years later, he brought that up. We hooked up on Facebook or something. And, I he, goes, he, did. and he goes, I remember you, you threw my tape out the window of your car. And I went, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still there waiting for you, Tim.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, <there's> so. some, <laughs> some farmer found that. Um, I, uh, you would remember that. I remember, I still remember, I've mentioned it before, the person who took out my uh, Doves CD at the CD player in a factory that I worked in and threw it across the floor. I've never forgiven him for that. Did you hear that? No. You, you'll know that story of, uh, we won't won't name names, but um, a comedian who, in fact, I won't name the name because I can't remember exactly who it was now. Uh, the comedian who's he's just got a latest CD of his own stand-up and he's telling the person driving about it, how great it is and he's going oh you got yeah it's brilliant Oh, blah. he's going on and on about it he's going they're a tenner I'm selling him after the gig blah, blah, blah. yeah they're only a tenner and he went how much is it the bloke driving he said with a CD a tenner he went right gave him a I took the CD off of him and threw it out the car window
0: that sounds like a Mitch Ben Brendan Burns kind of story
1: yeah could be yeah. one of them interchangeable yeah I'm happy with either but it's a great story yeah I love that yeah um so yeah so then you uh you moved to england you did a lot of driving a lot of music and then in england we do car journeys not as long as that but still you got you got to take other people's music having you on a car journey um uh here's a question for you that i was uh, I, we we came up with last week me and jen brister it's a good question you might enjoy this uh there's a band playing who you love right You've got a corporate. Now, for those who don't know, corporate gigs are where you get hired by a, a company to do a gig in front of like just one company or one area of work like internet, whatever, banking, investment bankers. And they, they have a, a award ceremony. You have to get up and do stand up to round tables of men in suits who a lot of them have probably never laughed in their lives. They work in investment banking or hedge funds or something. And you die on your ass for 10 minutes to utter silence and you want to rip your own heart out. Uh, But it pays the equivalent of, say, like, your month's wages in one night, that kind of level of money. Right, you've got a corporate in the diary, Dave. You've got a corporate in. What band would it take for you to cancel that corporate? What musician would you consider cancelling a corporate for? The play in the O2 or...
0: I'm going it's you know i don't like being around a lot of people so i don't want to stand in a in with ten thousand other people
1: all right you get to pick the venue then all right you get to pick the venue and the band
0: it's got to be a venue where you know 500 is fine 500 seaters fine nice yeah the uh uh give or take um and the two i would cancel for a uh, two unfortunately sorry that's all right um uh, one would be uh, Tom Waits, right? Okay, yeah. And the other would probably be um, Nine Inch Nails.
1: Oh, you've kept oh, lovely. That's good to hear. I like it. People that have kept a band that they've loved and you still love them now. That's a long time you've been into them, then, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Matter of fact, it was weird. I saw them live at the uh, Universal Amphitheater in LA in '94. So it would have been after Hurt, you know, the Downward Spiral, Spiral album. And um, so I bring my buddy Terrell Moore, who's an amazing artist. And uh, so we're stoked to see Nine Snails. And the opening band was Marilyn Manson. And Marilyn I never Manson
1: heard, opened for Nine Inch Nails?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I never heard of them. And, uh, and they blew me the fuck away. Oh, <laughs> you know? Right. I, was I love like, that
1: when you get into a support band it's great isn't it it feels like you've discovered them
0: yeah it was absolutely fantastic and um and i remember a couple of years after that a couple of the band members were at this i was having breakfast in venice with tarot and i saw two of them and because the way i look because i had long hair and i look like you know, i just got out of jail or something and and, uh, and they looked at me and i looked at them and they were kind of i think he's you know i i knew who they were and they were looking I think he might have been in a band I was in, you know, kind of thing. And so I got like a <laughs> smile, I got a smile and a nod when they were not looking at anybody for any reason. So
1: that, that yeah. is a, that is a good description of your, your, your look. You look like you've been in eight different bands. You look like a session musician. Of
0: that yeah. ilk. Well, there was a time when I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a studio musician. I wanted to play a trombone professionally and, 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 um,
1: no, you don't look yeah. like a trombonist.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, be uh be that guy. And then I, yeah, uh, the guy who was uh, one of my instructors at college, a guy named Bob McCurdy, was telling me that, yeah, if you nail it, if you hit it constantly, you'll probably be able to support yourself after about twenty years.
1: Fuck, how hard it is as a session musician.
0: And I thought, fuck that, right? And um, yeah, so I got into comedy because you know that paid so much better.
1: Yeah, quickly get into it quickly. Yeah, you haven't got to take a trombone around with you.
0: Yeah, true.
1: None of that. But well, there's an old
0: joke. There's an old joke that goes. What's the difference between a trombone player run over by a bus and a snake run over by a bus? I don't know. A snake was on his way to a gig.
1: (laughs) I've never heard that. It's a cracking joke. I like that one Billy Connolly says about, one thing you'll never hear is, that's the banjo player's Porsche.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I got a friend of mine back home, she plays the accordion, and she always sends me a... great accordion stuff and she's she's I me mean, this one picture it has all these accordions on the shelf it was at the beginning of the pandemic when you can only take so many rolls of toilet paper and it said only two per customer
1: <laughs> <laughs> lovely
0: yeah well we have so, another Tom, line is what's the difference between a uh, uh was an accordion thrown into a dumpster and a viola is uh, yeah. a, a accordion makes more noise
1: <laughs> oh these are good these are good instrument based jokes I don't oh these. i got oh,
0: i got a ton of music jokes man i got <clears throat> my favorite is the um oh god a couple of, oh guys oh yes this is a european joke uh sax player very famous sax player he's um he's playing this gig you know it, it, when we heard it in in music school it's like he's playing this gig in europe so it's you know yeah. europe is now just a country not you know an individual place and so he's yeah. playing his private gig for these people and everybody loves him. He's so famous. They like, go, you take requests?" He goes, "Oh, of course I do. Of course I do." Oh, could you play the theme from, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz? Oh yeah, yeah. So he gets on the sax. He plays it. Da 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 And he stops and he can't remember the bridge, so he goes back to the top. Da 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 da. And everybody's kind of looking at him. He's getting uncomfortable. Now he's pissed. <laughs> He just can't get over it. So he just hammers it. And now people are just shaking their head going, oh, man. And he can't live with himself. So he throws his sex down and he goes out and he jumps out the window and he falls three floors and he lands on the pavement and he's still alive. While he's laying there, he can hear the ambulance coming. I've never
1: heard that. That's great, that joke. That is yeah. good. I like so. that. Um, yeah, that's what that sounds like. The main thing you learn from uh, a degree in music composition is you remember most of the jokes, which have
0: come <laughs> out. A, of. The, one of my favorite ones is a uh, there's an ad for a, a a piano player in a in a bar, a solo piano player. So this, this guy shows up, and he goes, "Yeah, we just need a piano player." He goes, "Oh, I have no problem." He goes, "Let me hear what you got." He goes, "Well, I just play original stuff. You no problem." So he plays this amazing kind of ballad thing. And uh, he goes, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Did you write that? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, what do you call that? And he goes, I, I call that uh, your wife's a whore and I'm fucking her now. And he went, what? He goes, i oh, sorry, I just like weird songs. He goes, okay, well, well, play me something else. So he plays something like really upbeat, like. bum He goes, oh, that's fantastic. What, what do you call that? Uh, I'm beating off in the park every Saturday. And he's like, oh, okay, look, you know what? I really like the way you play. I'll hire you, but you have to promise me that you don't tell the crowd any of the names of your songs and he goes okay no problem so he's there the first night and the people love him oh my god they're just you know they're just like this guy's so good you know he's playing set after set and people putting tips in his tip jar because folks i i gotta take i gotta take a piss i'm you know i'm i'm drowning here well hurry up hurry up so he runs off he takes a piss and he runs back you know he forgets to zip himself up so he sits down at the piano. And this woman leans in. and goes, "Excuse me, but um, did you know your balls and your dick are hanging out of your fly?" And he, and he goes, "I wrote it."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a sudden surge of I got this surge of excitement as she said that that I knew where this was going and I'm going to like <laughs> it. <laughs> That's right.
0: So so well, uh, I don't want to yeah I don't want to bore you all those kinds of stuff. But anyway, yeah, you know, well, music t- to this
1: to segue from that into how did you get into tom waits do you remember how you got into tom waits
0: um yeah uh old dear friend of mine who's an architect a guy named sam rodell uh turned me on to tom waits and um yeah i was like wow who is this guy and i liked the way he looked and i liked the way he just kind of you know told stories with his songs and yeah. um, and I was glad it was not country western, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so from that point, I just had to. I, I bought everything. I just bought everything, you know. Yeah. And what's uh, weird?
1: You, you have to own everything. Well, there's a band, a musician you love. You're like, right. You you hear like about four of their songs, and you're like, right. Now I have to, I have to go through their back catalog, and I have to own all of it now immediately.
0: Well, that's kind of how I'm with uh, Trent Reznor now too. I mean, he did Nine Inch Nails. And now he's just Trent Reznor and he works with Atticus and they do uh, soundtracks for movies. The soundtrack he did for Social Network, uh, the movie? Oh, did he. Is, I didn't know yes, that. Yes, amazing that. amazing soundtrack. Great soundtrack to put on if you're trying to get some writing done. So
1: Right. Well, I never thought of putting a soundtrack on while writing. But uh, you know, having the Beatles on full blast singing along is not helping, I tell you that. Fuck that. Just just to finish off, Dave, this might just a, a question purely for you. That uh, that I'd like to hear because I, I, there's a lot of American bands. I do like. I don't want to sound like I'm slagging off of America. You know, it's just the British attitude towards we have to have the American stamp of approval gets on my tits a bit sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I yeah. do love American bands. Like some of my favourite bands, Tom Petty, Wilco. I love Wilco. Oh. Massive Wilco fan. Um, obviously, REM, Nirvana, all of that. But uh, is there an American band that you think? Just that uh, English people just don't know enough about that are massive in America, not even massive just a brilliant really good band or a musician American that you don't think enough English people know about
0: Wow good question um uh, the thing is, is if you, if you do well in America, the world picks up on it and it just yeah, kinda...
1: well, I well I don't think a lot of people in England know Wilco Wilco no.
0: I mean Blink Blink-182, t- uh, you know, they were fun. Um but you know, you know, like Pearl Jam and and um what's the other one Pearl Jam and uh, Allison in Chains, I mean all that grunge stuff was great. Um as far as like, you know, a musician now that people may or may not be into as a result of that in America over here. Um I mean Slater Kenny is great, but I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him over here.
1: No, I haven't.
0: Yeah, Slater-Kenny's great. What um, sort of stuff is that? It's kind of like post-grunge, you know? Uh, so ah. it's, not for every, it's not for everybody. I mean, I I think I have some Slater-Kenny CDs back home. I didn't bring any over, but I remember hearing them there. I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, and they get over here and they're not around. Um,
1: no, I've never <coughs> heard of them. What kind of year was that? Sort of like early 90s?
0: Yeah, you know, early, late 90s. I remember... I remember riding my mountain bike around seattle one time and and this really good looking gal outside of records i was hitting on she invited me to this bar because this band that she knew was going to get signed i was like yeah whatever and um and i got there and um and the band was alice in chains and the first time i heard, heard him and he absolutely blew me away never saw her but yeah blew me away <laughs> what about Rob, I mean, robert cray has been around forever yeah fantastic player but you know not really broken over here. Is that
1: robert Cray? Robert-
0: Robert Cray, yeah, blues, yeah, blues guitar player, just fantastic.
1: No, I don't know. Well, that, that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's a couple of good ones there that I don't know of that I could, I could have a look, try and broaden my American uh, uh, palette. I'm going to use the word palate. Um, yeah. Those are two good ones. I'm happy with them. Thanks for that.
0: If you want a really great CD, I, I've recommended to people on who are into anything from man, you know, Beatles and Metallica, whatever, is Yo-Yo Ma covering all of of the Bach um, cello suites. Yo-Yo Ma is a cellist, and he, um, and the the Bach cello suites are just amazing. It works done by uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, and hearing him play them is just, it's art.
1: I mean, that is a good place to end. Again, if people who don't know you, uh, to look at you, you would not you would not think this podcast would end on Johann Sebastian Bach. I mean, you've you've shocked me, Dave. Uh, sorry, man. Sorry. For the breadth <coughs> of knowledge. I thought, I don't know what I thought it would be, but, you know, that was amazing. It was great to hear all of that. Thank you very much for coming on, Dave. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you, Andrew.
1: And I hope to see you at a gig soon. And if I give you a lift to a gig, I'm going to keep the electric windows locked, I tell you
0: that. <laughs> yeah. Done. Take care of yourself, man. A podcast from producer Paul.uk